won that Stanley Cup. And for my hockey career, it was great. But for my life, it was even better. I was able, so I'm able to do some special things with my foundation and meet with people and spend some time in the White House. Um, first Canadian ever to speak at Library of Congress uh, in Washington on a topic. Um, and, you know, at Stanley Cup has a huge thing to do with it. People, uh, I get meetings with senators and things like that to be able to advocate, lobby for, you know, for dyslexics. So I'm not excited. My hockey career was amazing. But, you know, that Stanley Cup has catapulted my foundation, which is the most important thing to me. Hi there. Welcome to the show. I'm Lucas Favalli. This is Crunch Chronicles. Great to be with you here. Episode 17 of Crunch Chronicles on the way here today. And my goodness, hard to believe it's the final episode of 2021. We hope you've enjoyed it here in 2021. Hope you've enjoyed your holiday season. We hope you are uh, ready for our next guest on the show. We are talking today with a, a guy who spent a good chunk of time early in his career with the Syracuse Crunch and has gone on and, and has really stayed involved actively uh, within the game, outside of the game. He's a big presence everywhere. And we are talking about Brent Sopel, who started his pro career with the Crunch, played a handful of games uh, over the course of two seasons at the end of his junior seasons, and then ended up jumping full-time into to pro hockey uh, with the Crunch in the 1997-98 season. He played that year, the 98-99, and the 99-2000 seasons with the Crunch as a part of the Vancouver Canucks organization. First couple of years, of course, that was the dual affiliation years with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but he was here as a part of the Canucks organization and had really good seasons. As a rookie, he had 43 points as a defenseman in 76 games, 10 goals and 33 assists. He had 31 points in 53 crunch games the following year also played five nhl games that season in vancouver scored one goal uh and making his nhl debut that season in those five games and then in his final year with the crunch 31 points in 50 games played and then another 18 games with vancouver the uh, that season as well he played a couple of minor league games uh, the following season with the kansas city blades that was a new affiliate for the canucks but really he was a full-time nhler by the uh, 2000 season 52 games with the vancouver canucks that year and boy he went on to an excellent career in the National Hockey League, won a Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, a very much uh, talked about cup at this point, but that was in 2010. He finished his NHL career uh, in 2010-2011 with Atlanta and then Montreal, played seven playoff games with the Canadians in 2011, played in the KHL for three seasons, came back to North America, one final season of the American Hockey League that was spent with the Chicago Wolves. He played 29 games with the Wolves in 2014. 2015, but an all an excellent career for Brent Sopel, and he was a great guest to get on here for uh, Crunch Chronicles. He's one of only five defensemen in franchise history to reach 100 points. He had 105 and 182 games, and he is episode 17 of Crunch Chronicles. Here he is, Brent Sopel. Yeah, I know I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm actually in uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, I get my own solar company, so do residential commercial solar uh, across the United States, and then I got my own charity foundation, so yeah, I'm definitely busy. It's been a whirlwind time for you, I'm sure, with everything going on. Uh, so you're you're in the energy business these days. What uh, what led you down that path, uh, and, uh, and, and how's everything going? 
yeah, you know, it's uh, life after hockey. You really never know where that takes you um, after doing something for 40 years. So uh, I love helping people and taking care of people. That's one, you know, foundation, the parental foundation. That's what, that's what I do. And um, this in the energy business, the same way, you know, solar uh, helps every single homeowner. So um, I tried many different things after hockey and uh, I just ended up, uh, you know, loving, you know, being able to help so many people, um, you know, do good in the world. I know there was a story on you uh, at the start of this year about helping former hockey players to kind of get acclimated to uh, th- that life after hockey, which is always a, a difficult adjustment. It's kind of a, a shell shock, I'm sure, for some guys get, getting out of the game and finding, you know, the real world. What, what, what's, you know, why was that a passion for you to kind of help help guys adjust to life after hockey? You know, again, life after hockey, you know, not, it's not even hockey, it's baseball, anybody's sport. I did it for, I did it for 40 years and, um, didn't have an education. Most of us, you know, focused only on, on that one thing that, and that was hockey for me. And, you know, life after, after hockey has been the hardest thing ever. You know, it's, uh, had some bad times, you know, um, I was almost dead with the amount of alcohol and drugs I was doing. I've been sober over five years. So, um, took a long time to, to figure out, uh, where to go and what to do, you know, one part is that we were told where to be and how to be our whole lives. You know, going to school, class, what time the bus is, you know, you go turn pro in hockey, what time the plane is, what time practice is, what time the game is. So um, I was told where to be my whole life till I was 40 years old and I was just completely lost. So if I can help any guy, you know, in that transition uh, in any which way, you know, that's just, you know, I care about helping people any way I can. That's wonderful to hear, and you're right. It is such a such a structured routine for so many years, and and it is so different after that. And it's great to hear that you've been sober now for five years as well, and and all well and good for that. Um, you mentioned your foundation, the Brent Sopel Foundation, involved in dyslexia. What uh, tell us about that, and and why that is also a, a big part of of what you do? Yeah, you know, um, so I didn't get diagnosed until uh, I was 32 years old, you know, towards the end of my NHL career and um, how I got, you know, figured out as dyslexic was I got my daughter tested. So, uh, you know, I focused on getting her help, but, you know, that goes back to life after hockey. You know, my education probably didn't take me past grade eight. You know, uh, do I have the high school diploma? Yeah. But did I pass any classes? No, the teachers just knew who I was and passed me. I was rating at a grade four level. So, you know, after hockey, like I said, back to alcohol and drugs, nobody would hire me. I got divorced. He needs to work and, and I couldn't. So uh, I had to get sober to be okay with, you know, who I am and understand that I struggle at reading, but, you know, I'm good at other things. So the Principal Foundation came up there just to, to advocate, you know, dyslexia is one in five and it's hereditary. Um, 50% of people in prison in the world are dyslexic. So some staggering numbers. Everybody knows what autism is. You know, autism is one in 55, I think now, and not hereditary. And dyslexia is one in five and hereditary. Uh, that is incredible. It, what you know? What what are the challenges that someone might face who's is going through that, or maybe they're not sure if if they have uh, if they're facing that. Uh, what what are the challenges, and and what do what does the foundation do to help uh, with people going through that those circumstances? You know, the biggest thing is that what I you know, dyslexics have no self esteem. You know, we're we're born with a right brain wired differently, so. We start struggling from the first time we pick that book up, one years old, two years old. So um, 80% of dyslexics don't get diagnosed 
until they're out, out of, of school. So we were told we're dumb, we're stupid, we're lazy all these years just because we can't read. You know, we're, we're struggling with the simplest things. So everybody thinks it's just flipping your P's and D. No, it goes so much more. You know, uh, Robin Williams, for example, he was dyslexic. So your dyslexia that kicks off your depression, your anxiety, all these kinds of things that go along with this. So the foundation is, you know, my first thing is that you're not alone. No matter what battle you're in, drugs, alcohol, depression, you always think you're alone. So, you know, you're not alone. I'm there with you. And it's just to advocate for, you know, for dyslexics to know that they're they're okay and help them understand who they are and parents how to to get the help and resources um, where you know during through schools or uh, you know throughout the schools. Just just know that you can make it in this world. Um, we got good skills, you know, and bad skills, and every other person does, but. When you you struggle with the simplest things, it takes a toll on your self-esteem. Uh, it's again a great, uh, great thing you have going there with the with the foundation, and uh, we hope that continues to raise awareness for that and, and help those uh, who need uh, the support uh, as they go through everything, uh, whether they're young or as they go through uh, adulthood as well. Uh, let's shift uh, now to some of the hockey stuff and, and your time with the Crunch. Like we said, you were uh, you were here for three full seasons. Uh, saw some time the couple years before that as well before you really jumped into to pro hockey. But your full time here was ninety seven to two thousand. Uh, before we jump into those seasons, just uh, you know, your general thoughts, a uh, broad stroke uh, about your time with the Crunch. Uh, my, my time with the Crunch was amazing. Um, you know, it, it, it turned me into you know, a full-time NHL player and allowed me to win the Stanley Cup. And, um, you know, loved coming to the War Memorial and, you know, best rank out there. And, uh, you know, love the people. Um, a couple of my kids were born in Syracuse, so I made Syracuse my home for, you know, for, you know, for many years. So it was a huge huge turning point and coming there with the coaches I had, the guys I played with, the, the city, the organization. Uh, it was just, I uh, got nothing but amazing things to say. Uh, you start your pro career here. It's your rookie season. Uh, like we said, you played a couple of games before that, which we'll talk about in a moment here. But uh, your rookie year, 97, 98, what do you remember from, uh, you know, jumping into pro hockey full time that year? <laughs> yeah, you know, got my first first apartment. You know, I came down as a Canadian kid from Saskatchewan. You know, found my apartment on James Street for five hundred dollars. Self furnished. I'm all excited. And there's no fault cell phones. You know, my fridge was stocked with beer and chips. And um, yeah, it was. You know, um, you move away at sixteen. I did. You know, lived with another family, so you had you know people cooking for you. So it was the first time. You know, it was like a 35 hour drive from, you know, where I was to in Canada to there. So, um, you know, moving out for the first time, turning pro and um, you know, adjusting to the hot, you know, the full time hockey life and, you know, what you need to do uh, day in and day out to, to learn, uh, to adjust, to figure out how to play pro hockey. Because the biggest thing is that, it, you know, as soon as you turn pro, it's not a sport anymore. It's a business. And it takes a long time, a lot of understanding what that actually means. Uh, we always, you know, you, the, everyone focuses the, in terms of the adjustment on the on ice stuff because it is a big jump for sure with just the hockey related uh, jump from from juniors or college, wherever it is, to to the pro level. But you're right, the off the ice, uh, living on your own, laundry, cooking, whatever it might be, is always a big adjustment as well. What you know, what did you find as the biggest adjustment? Was it on the ice? Was it off the ice? Was it a little of everything turning, as you say, uh, turning you know hockey into a business at the end of the day instead of it just being a sport like you were playing when you were younger 
you know, it, it was, it ended up being a 24 hour day job. And that was, you, you go to the rank and you prepare, you know, your workouts and how you got to prepare mentally for, you know, for that practice. So, um, and how fast, how much faster the game is and how much bigger the guys are and uh, how much, you know, how quickly your time and space gets eliminated. But then also, you know, you walk away from the ring. Okay. I've got to eat the right things. You know, I got to get the rest and for playing a three on three and, you know, going out there, if you're going to go and party, when is it? You know, so it's, it ends up being, a, you know, a full-time job. What you do for dinner affects what, you know, how you play and how your energy is, you know, for the game. So it was, it, it, you know, it was completely everything. Like we said, you played a couple of games a years previous to at the end of, of your junior seasons, come in get a game or two with a crunch. Uh, and we still see that these days with uh, guys getting at least a taste of pro hockey. How do you think that helped just getting a game or two experience to play a couple of games in the playoffs as well for the crunch the year before uh, helped you prepare for what was becoming the full-time gig for you moving forward yeah no you know uh, it was awesome you know um unfortunately you can't learn you can watch as many videos you want but you can't learn until you go ahead and uh yeah, and you play so uh to play those games it was awesome um you know play you know bigger guys faster guys better guys so uh every time you're on the ice you know you you learn and get better so you can't get to two your second game so you get to the first game so um those every time i was on the ice you know made me a better player and um obviously your first pro game and first couple games getting called up in your junior season and uh be able to take the half visor off and go no visor and um you know just little things like that was, uh, was awesome was there a moment that stands out to you from that rookie season, whether it's, uh, you know, on the ice, uh, you're welcome to, to pro hockey moment. Uh, was it a rookie party? What what stands out to you from, from your rookie season? Oh yeah. Rookie party is great time. Definitely. Uh, didn't feel, feel too well for a couple of days, but uh, <laughs> um, it made me who I am. And, you know, I just you know, I had so many great coaches that, that, that taught me uh, the life and, you know, how, how to go and how to be. And, you know, there's this, uh, Jack McLeod, you know, um, rest, in, rest in peace. He was a great man, great coach for me, allowed uh, allowed me to to blossom and learn and um, know what to do. But you know, that's a great team. We had a lot of fun. And, um, you know, the rookie parties will always be a great memory. It made me who I am today. Well, we'll shift to year number two then for you, 1998-99. It's, uh, well, it's a year that a lot of Crunch fans want to forget just based on the uh, the the way the season ended up going. Just 18 wins that year. It was a really uh, strange year, a dual affiliation, which we'll talk about. But, you know, it was your second year. You had a pretty good year on the ice. What, you know, what do you remember from, from your second year here in Syracuse? Well, you know, um, I, I was focused in trying not to be uh, have the sophomore slump. To be honest, you know, um, it, you know, it's a real thing that, you know, you work so hard to turn pro and you work out, and you know, when you get there, um, you know, it kind of takes laughs. It was just my goal was always just to to get better, and my goal was to 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 make it to you know play in the NHL. So, um, you know, it was. Uh, it was an adjustment every year. I was a little bit more comfortable with what I was doing and where I was going because I had lived away and been there for a year. So, um, again, I just I, I love walking down to the War Memorial every day. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed every second of it, walking down those stairs. And um, it was just trying trying to get better and trying to be uh, more of a leader and uh, have more of an impact in the game. 
Like we said, it was a, another year. There was a second year that the team was a dual affiliate with the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and and uh, it, it didn't you know didn't go well on the ice as we as we mentioned. But uh, what was the dynamic like uh, for for the, then you know your first couple of years when uh, it wasn't just the Vancouver Farm Club? There was Pittsburgh in there as well, and I'm sure there was uh, you try to get as long as well as you could. But what was the dynamic like? You know, not, you know, it, it is tough. When you're, when you're split organization, you know, we had one coach with Vancouver. We had one with Pittsburgh. You had, you know, Pittsburgh wanted their guys to play and Vancouver wanted their guys to play. So um, personally, you know, there was a lot of Europeans, a lot of Russians. So, you know, like I always say, I can only speak English. I haven't learned, you know, American yet. And then I've got Russians in check. So, um great nothing but amazing guys but it, it is when you have a split split team and two coaches on each side um it does make it tough I mean, like you said in a tough year i think we lost in one game 14 to 2 yep, 14 yep. it was 10 nothing after the first game so um <laughs> yeah that, th- those are the ones you, you uh, it's amazing you, you want to forget those but you can never forget those games right <laughs> oh yeah I'll definitely never forget it because actually um, a guy named Randy Robitaille, um, I think he had four goals in the first year or something. I ended up being t- teammates with him a couple of, couple of years later when I got out of the NHL and played with him in Russia, and we laughed about it. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely something you want to forget, but definitely something you'll never forget. Uh, that year you also did, you know, you mentioned trying to avoid the sophomore slump. You do get up to the NHL for a couple of games. You play five games with Vancouver. You get a goal in, in those five games. Uh, what do you remember from your NHL debut and what did it mean to you? Well, you know, my first NHL game was in Chicago, so uh, funny how it takes a full full circle um, you know, for where I win the Stanley Cup and um, obviously Canadian can, you, you dream of a win the Stanley Cup and, and finally I did. Um, yeah, you know, it you know, was amazing but finally you can't get there to your first NHL game and I'll never forget my first NHL game in Chicago then a couple games later in Vancouver scoring my first goal with my parents uh, you know, parents there and memories that you know, I'll never forget and um, you never know if you're going to get back up there after those five games, but I could say I played my first, and I could say I you know, scored my first goal. Brent Sopel, our guest here on Crunch Chronicles. We'll shift to your third season now with the Crunch. It was your final uh, season in Syracuse. It was the final year of the Vancouver affiliation with the Crunch as well, 1999-2000. Another solid year for you. Another year where you, you saw time with both the Crunch and Vancouver. A couple of more games with the Canucks that year. 18 games in total with Vancouver uh, and 50 games with the Crunch. Another 31 points in Syracuse. Uh, more of a back and forth year, I guess, for you. But what sticks out from your your time spent in Syracuse that season? Again, you know, it was my third year. Uh, it was trying to uh, be more consistent. You know, I got to play five games, and that was the biggest thing. Is you know, got to be consistent every night. It's 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 very hard. You know, people don't understand. You know, to be good every night, and you know, NHL, you got to play eighty two games, and uh, the grind, what it was, and. You know, that's what it is. So I came back down there. I just, you know, I tried to tried to be more consistent, you know, night in and night out to, to be able to get back to the NHL. And, uh, you know, it's easy, to, you know, it's not easy, but in the hockey terminology, it's easy to get there. But it's even harder to stay. There's no doubt about that, and and uh, like you said, you you find your way up to to Vancouver for more games that year, and you were 
clearly heading in that direction moving forward. That year for the Crunch, it was a nice bounce back year from uh, the year previously on the ice. It was a new head coach that year, Stan Smeal, uh, Vancouver uh, icon, of course, who's back in the news these days as uh, he heads up their uh, hockey operations department in an interim role at least. Uh, but that was his first, uh, I always hear the story, it was his first time he'd ever been in minor league hockey when he took over the head coach as the uh, of the Crunch here for that season. He had just gone straight to the NHL when he uh, was with Vancouver. What do you remember from Stan as a coach? What was your relationship like with him? Well, you know, there's nothing more than than that goes back. You know, Steamer is is an amazing human being, and um, you know, as you pointed out, Sam never never knew minor hockey because he was that good. But I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't even want to talk about how good a good coach he was. He was just a great human being on and off the ice. Could you know, uh, it was an absolute blessing and pleasure that I was able to be uh, be on that team. You know, I obviously I knew him for. You know, a couple of years getting drafted by the Vancouver Canucks and being part of the organization. So, and so I knew him, but got to know him on a, a more of a personal and deeper level, and just a just a great human being. You go from Jack McElarkey, who is again a great guy, just a, a hard nosed coach, as we know, and as we heard from his time here, to Stan Smeal. How much of a change was that to go from one to the next, and uh, and and how do you think that uh, helped in terms of your development moving forward? Well, you know, coaching is all about managing personalities. And Jack, you know, and then I ended up, Jack ended up being the coach when I was in Vancouver. So, uh, you know, for me, I, you know, I like the hard nose die and, um, you know, Steamer just gave a different outlook and uh, got his messages across in different ways. And uh, for me to grow as a hockey player and a human being, um, you, you know, it was a great transition. I had to learn, learn from that. I learned a lot from both of them and how to handle all certain situations and, how, you know, different ways to approach uh, different situations. We, uh, it was quite a coincidence, but we were just a couple days ago for our, our previous episode talking with uh, Mike Brown, who uh, was here just the one year with the Crunch, but he said you, you guys were roommates the one season he was here. That was that 99-2000 season. What could can you tell us about Mike Brown as, as a guy, uh, you know, on the ice, off the ice, away from the ice, uh, as a roommate? Tell us about Mike Brown. Yeah, Brownie, he's, a, he's an awesome guy. Um, you know, obviously, he was a hard-nosed guy I could play with, and he enjoyed dropping the gloves and tough. But uh, the one thing about Brownie is um, he was a whiz. You know, him and Jeopardy, he'd answer every question. So, you know, we'd play Jeopardy, I'd answer none, he'd, ask, he'd answer them all. But, uh you know, it was it was his first year, so I'll you know, kind of try to bring him in and you know and help him turn pro and understand what it is. But uh, we had some great times. But hey, playing Jeopardy against him. <laughs> well, he he did, by the way, say hello. I don't know how much you've been uh, chatting with these days. I know everyone goes their separate ways for a while, but he did mention something about uh, ketchup sandwiches, which is uh, I guess something that was I don't know if it's still a thing for you these days, but it was something back then. He said he would not touch a ketchup sandwich, but you would. What, tell us about these ketchup sandwiches. Which is yeah, you know, a great man. Yeah, you know, I haven't talked to him for a little while, but uh, um, please say hello and do speak to him. Brownie was he's absolutely right. Ketchup goes on everything. You know, I've had it in ice cream, chocolate donuts, eggs, chicken noodle soup. Ketchup goes on everything. There's no better better sandwich than a ketchup sandwich. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, that is, uh, we'll have to give that a try sometime. Uh, I'll, I'll follow up uh, with that uh, down the road. Brent Sopel, our guest here on uh, Crunch Chronicles. Well, Brent, we mentioned, you know, that was your final season with the Crunch. You go on for a very long NHL career, 650-plus uh, uh, games in the National Hockey League, like you mentioned and alluded to earlier, won the Stanley Cup with Chicago. What are you most proud of, though, when you kind of look back at your NHL career now? What, what, what are you most proud of from what you accomplished? 
you know, obviously winning the Stanley Cup is every kid's dream. Um, but, you know, I take a look at it a little bit differently than most people. I won that Stanley Cup. And for my hockey career, it was great. But for my life, it was even better. I was able, so I'm able to do some special things with my foundation and meet with people and spend some time in the White House. And, um, first Canadian ever to speak at Library of Congress uh, in Washington on a topic. Um, and, you know, at Stanley Cup has a huge thing to do with it. People, uh, I get meetings with senators and things like that to be able to advocate and lobby for, you know, for dyslexics. So I'm not excited. My hockey career was amazing. But, you know, that Stanley Cup has catapulted my foundation, which is the most important thing to me. Yeah, you become a very uh, a public figure in a lot of different things uh, after your career. I'm curious, what you know, what is your biggest motivation these days to uh, in everything that you do? What what continues to motivate you to to move forward? You know, um, is helping people. You know, now it's gone to the rehab. Do I help people with rehab? Is that the depression, anxiety? Is that their foundation? Is their kid? Whatever it is. Uh, my purpose is to help people and on on every single level. So that is my motivation uh, each and every day. God allows me to wake up. I'm excited to to be up, you know, every day. It's a blessing. So, um, you know, my phone's always available to to help people on any single level. That's amazing to hear for sure. Uh, shifting back uh, quickly to your to your time with the Crunch before we let you run here today, and we appreciate the time as always. Uh, just want to ask you about you know the fans here in Syracuse. What what playing? Uh, I know you talked about this building and uh, and you know the 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 energy that was in here, but uh, tell us about you know your experience playing in front of the fans here in Syracuse for your time. Oh, you know I absolutely love it. Yeah, you know. Um, was treated with uh, all respect. Uh, fans were amazing. Every single one that I met to, um, like I said, it was uh, it's a great building, combination with amazing fans, and I have nothing but uh, amazing things uh, for each and every one of them. You know, I want to say, you know, from my bottom of my heart, thank you because you guys were awesome, and we'll never forget them. Couple of quick hitters. Uh, you know, who's do you have a favorite teammate uh, from your time with the Crunch or a couple guys who stand out to you who uh, you just love to be around each and every day? You know, again, I, everybody everybody brought something different, to, you know, into my life. Um, good people, uh, you know, great people. You know, if it's Tyson Nash when I played there or Dave Scatchard or Mark Watton or Robert Dolme when we were split with Pittsburgh. Everybody had an impact in my life, and uh, uh, I'm thankful for all of them. Yeah, we had Tyson Nash on a couple of weeks ago as well. I'm sure we'll get some of those other guys uh, <laughs> yeah. in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it might be the same answer then because it sounds pretty similar, but I was curious if there was someone who had, whether it was a coach, a player, a teammate, who had you know the biggest influence on you uh, at, at that point in your career. Again, um, yeah, you're, you're right. It is the same question. And, and, you know, because I had to learn. I had to grow as a human being. I had to grow as, you know, as a man. I had to grow as a hockey player. So um, good and bad, every one of them had a major impact on, you know, on my career along with the fans. It's, you know, to be able to do what I did for 18 years pro, I think the average is five years. They all had an impact on my life and my career in one way or the other. 
you have a favorite place when you're away from the rink that you like to go in Syracuse, uh, whether it was to hang out, to do whatever? Where are the places you like to go when you were here? I think I, think I was uh, my second home was Carousel Mall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's still as popular as ever with all the guys who come through here over the years. Uh, everyone heads there, uh, and it's it's a great place. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, we, you know back in the day when you go to movies, you watch three or four movies in the theater, one the other. So um, you know, ride the carousel carousel times too. Uh, any uh, as an opponent when you were going into buildings, what was your favorite place to play as a as a visitor? Uh, that's a great question. You know, you probably have to go back to the old Hershey Farm. You know, just intimidating. You know, very tight, stand straight up. It was old, really old school. I, I just like the old school feel of of it. You know, like the warmer world. Just um, they don't have buildings like that anymore, and it's uh, uh, you know it's sad. But uh, you know, the I like the old school barn. The old uh, Rochester uh, building before they built the new one, where you had to take the elevator upstairs. Um, that was always uh, always interesting. Yeah, we the, my first year here with the Crunch got to practice at the, what is it Hershey Park Arena, which was it was such yep. a cool place to uh, to see. Never got to see a game there, but still pretty neat to see uh, practice there for sure. All right, one final question for you, Brent, uh, and it kind of just will put a bow on things. Just a you know a final thought uh, about your time with the Crunch. Any closing thoughts you have uh, for here? Oh, yeah, like I said, it was an amazing part of my life. Um, you know, most of my kids were born there. Love the city. Uh, going up to SU on campus, having some fun up there, you know, hitting some Orangeman games. So uh, I have nothing but amazing things to say about, uh, about the organization, fans, and the city. Uh, Brent Sopel, our guest here on Crunch Chronicles. Brent, we know you're a busy guy. We appreciate you giving us some time here today. Thanks so much for doing this, and, and we wish you uh, well with all the different things that you, you have going on. Yeah, I appreciate taking time. And again, back to the fans. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate Brent Sopel for his time here on the show today, episode 17 of Crunch Chronicles. And boy, Brent is a busy guy. He's got so much going on, and you kind of heard him talking about all of that uh, during the course of our conversation with him. Uh, but such a, a, a big, you know, uh, just changing uh, changing the world, more or less, is Brent Sopel. And you can uh, check out the Brent Sopel Foundation by visiting brentsopelfoundation.org. That is uh, where, you know, everything is based and just uh, helping people with dyslexia, uh, giving them the support that they deserve and uh, hats off and stick taps to Brent Sopel for for being active since his playing career ended, being active for uh, for players, uh, helping them uh, find their way outside of the game and also being a champion and supporting those with dyslexia as well. So uh, great job by Brent Sopel. It was a wonderful conversation with him as well. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, we hope you unintentionally enjoyed the back-to-back with the roommates, Mike Brown last week and Brent Sopel this week here on Crunch Chronicles. If you have any uh, feedback about the episode, any stories or uh, any any little bits of information or nuggets about Brent Sopel you want to share with us, feel free to do that via Twitter at Lucas Favalli or via email lfavalli at syracusecrunch.com. We'd love to get some of those stories and share them on an upcoming episode of Crunch Chronicles. That is episode 17 in the books, though. We hope you enjoyed the episode here. Uh, you can always reach out to me via those two platforms. So if you have any other suggestions for upcoming guests, we've got another great guest to kick off 2022, though. That will be coming your way next week. I think you'll enjoy that one uh, coming your way. A guy who had such a huge impact and is one of the great success stories of this current affiliation. That'll be the hint for today. 
Maybe you can guess who it is. I don't know. We'll find out. You have to wait till next week, though, for the upcoming episode. With that, that's it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us here at Crunch Chronicles. For all of us with the Syracuse Crunch, I'm Lucas Favalli saying so long for now. Have a great new year if we don't uh, talk to you before then. And we'll catch up again next week with another great episode of Crunch Chronicles. <laughs>